This is Speak Out Socialists, a podcast produced by Speak Out Now. Speak Out Now is a revolutionary socialist organization. You can find us at our Facebook page, Speak Out Now. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Rev Socialists. That's R-E-V Socialists with an S at the end. Or our website, which is speakoutsocialists.org. These are the reports from the week of Wednesday, June 3rd. We are the ones we have been waiting for. A little over a week ago, people around the world witnessed the horrific execution of George Floyd by four Minneapolis cops in broad daylight. People watched in horror as the life was squeezed out of Floyd's body, and that horror burst forth in anger and rage across the country. Since then, hundreds of thousands of people, mostly young and racially diverse, have taken to the streets in cities and towns all over the country, in protests and demonstrations, day after day, into the night, saying, No more. The murder of a black man by the cops is not an unfamiliar event for many of us. Each year, around 1,000 people are killed by the police. About one out of every 1,000 black men die at the hands of the police. And of the thousands of people killed by the cops since 2005, only 98 cops were arrested and only three convicted of murder. Those four cops didn't hesitate in killing George Floyd. They expected to get away with murder. But no more. Buildings were burned and looted and police cars set ablaze. But buildings can be rebuilt and more goods produced. But the lives taken cannot be replaced. They are gone forever. The murder of George Floyd took place in the fourth month of a most unusual time in our lives, a time which has exposed the true functioning of this society for all to see. The COVID-19 virus exposed the values that guide those who run this system. In January, when the epidemic in China became apparent, a massive public health response wasn't activated. No, it was a measured response. Dollars versus public safety. But the U.S. government waited. They didn't even take an inventory of masks and other PPE, then quickly prepare to produce what might be needed. They didn't confer with public health agencies in other countries to coordinate a worldwide response if one was needed. The lives of more than 105,000 people have been sacrificed on the altar of profit. 26,000 of them elderly and disabled people trapped in nursing homes and healthcare workers who worked without the basic protective gear and those in prisons across the country. The number of people who are sick and dying are disproportionately African Americans, Latinos, and Native Americans. The virus has been devastating because support for public health care and nutrition has been stripped away by the past decades of budget cuts that transferred billions of dollars to the billionaire class and their corporations. The pandemic spread because they did nothing. We were told to shelter in place, to stop the virus from spreading, 
and we stayed home, but frontline workers were expected to risk their lives keeping basic services functioning. Now, more than 40 million are unemployed, facing an unknown future. Meaningless rent moratoriums were put in place, but are about to expire, and where will rent or mortgage payments come from? Lines at food banks have reached epic proportions. Young people were told to leave schools and turn on a computer if they had one. Is that their future? Meanwhile, the so-called bailouts only meant trillions of dollars handed to the billionaires. Despite the kind words of some politicians and gestures of solidarity by some police, tens of cities are under curfew, patrolled by heavily armed police and National Guard. The future ahead is uncertain. But one thing is certain. We, the working class, the 99%, are in this together. We have just begun to see our power. We can't afford to watch and wait. The time is now to organize ourselves in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, wherever we are. We need to connect with others who are ready to take the steps to defend our interests, not the profits of the bosses. This is how we can secure our future. As the saying goes, we are the ones we have been waiting for. Police response, kneeling is not enough. In a number of cities around the country, both police chiefs and police acted in ways we are certainly not used to seeing. The police chief of Minneapolis said the four cops involved in Floyd's murder should all be arrested and charged. He and several police chiefs in other cities went and kneeled at protests and expressed understanding and sympathy for protesters out in the streets. Some police marched in demonstrations and expressed sympathy for the pain and rage that so many people are feeling after Floyd's murder. Certainly, we can understand that some police had a human response to watching the brutal execution of George Floyd, killed by asphyxiation with a cop's knee on his throat for nine minutes. And certainly, there are people with different life experiences who become cops. Some view themselves as trying to serve the community. But those cops are part of a military force that are trained to follow orders. And as long as they wear the uniform and carry their weapons, they are part of that disciplined military force maintaining the order of this system. It isn't just a question of what any individual chooses to do even if they choose not to follow orders. The police are an institution created to preserve the law and order of those with property, money, and power. Over and over again, there have been efforts at police reform with civilian review boards, new rules and regulations, and body cameras. But these attempts at reforms do not change which side the police are on. Over and over, they have been the force used against strikers, or to attack civil rights or anti-war demonstrators. The role of the police has been to keep order, not to enforce justice. Leopards can't change their spots, and a few kneeling police officers can't change the role of the police. Both Democratic and Republican politicians protect healthcare bosses from lawsuits. From the start of the pandemic, bosses have demanded the government provide amnesty against lawsuits by workers and customers who get the virus because of the sloppy, unsafe ways the bosses run their workplaces. Hospitals and nursing home bosses are particularly anxious for this protection because there have been so many scandals about their failure to provide adequate supplies of personal protective equipment, or PPE, 
ventilators, test kits, and so on. Democratic Party legislators have loudly protested against the amnesty proposal by Trump and the GOP. But action by New York Democratic Party Governor Andrew Cuomo makes it clear that his party's opposition is just a sham. He proposed, and the Democratic majority in the New York State Legislature passed, amnesty provisions protecting hospital and nursing home bosses from both monetary lawsuits and criminal complaints arising out of their decision during the pandemic. Defenders of Governor Cuomo say his action has nothing to do with the fact that he and the New York State Democratic Party received $2.3 million in campaign contributions from healthcare executives in the months before the 2018 election. However, the main lobbying organization for the hospital industry in New York brags about the fact that former lobbyists and their family members hold important positions on the governor's staff. 19 states have passed one or another form of amnesty legislation. The Guardian newspaper carried a report that nursing home COVID patients are 7.5 times more likely to die in states with corporate legal immunity. It would be hard to top this example of how the politicians protect the capitalists, no matter how dangerous their ruthless pursuit of profit is for the rest of us. Bus drivers refuse to work with cops against protesters. Police departments arresting demonstrators against police brutality often try to commandeer municipal buses to cart their prisoners off to jail. But some bus drivers in cities like New York and Minneapolis have refused to help police departments crack down on the massive demonstrations since the murder of George Floyd. A YouTube video shows demonstrators cheering as one Brooklyn bus driver walked off a bus onto which cops had loaded demonstrators who were arrested last weekend. Bus drivers don't want to be put in the middle between police and young people protesting police brutality. But their opposition to being used by the police goes deeper than that. Most New York City subway and bus workers are black or brown, and they know how the police behave in their neighborhoods. Hopefully, these refusals to haul protesters off to jail will inspire other transit workers to think about taking group action when there's mass outrage about police brutality. Trump exploits and insults religion. This past Monday, Trump walked across the street to St. John's Episcopal Church for a photo op holding up a Bible in front of the church after making a speech threatening to use the military to squash protests across the country. Before he took his walk, he had his cops clear the way of peaceful demonstrators using tear gas. The Episcopal Bishop of Washington, D.C. said she was outraged and that she, quote, was not given even a courtesy call that they would be clearing the area with tear gas so they could use one of our churches as a prop. Unquote. She continued, Let me be clear, the president just used a Bible, the most sacred text of the Judeo-Christian tradition, and one of the churches of my diocese without permission as a backdrop for a message antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. Trump has always made a big deal of his devotion to Christianity in order to appeal to conservative Christian voters. But here, the church is accusing him of breaking the law of the land by trespassing and acting against the teachings of Jesus. Whether you are a Christian, Muslim, Jew, or atheist, it should be obvious that Trump's only religion is himself. 
For this law and order president, the only law is himself, and the only order he cares about is capitalism built on slavery. Trump, law and order president for the 1%, June 2nd. Trump's response to the killing of George Floyd expressed his usual insensitive and racist attitudes. He accused left-wing outside agitators of rioting and railed against mayors and governors and police for not using enough brute force to dominate those who were demonstrating their hurt and outrage over this brutal racist murder. Then, yesterday, he threatened those who were demonstrating, saying he is the, quote, law and order president, and would send heavily armed military forces to the states to restore his order. Trump wants to appear as the strong man in charge of the midst of chaos that he helped to create. Trump's only concern is his re-election campaign, playing to his base to get re-elected and enriching the super-rich who support him. This has not only characterized his response to the brutal murder of Floyd, but also his response to the pandemic and to the economic crisis in its wake. His many failures in response to what could have been a limited health problem has turned into a pandemic that has killed more than 103,000 Americans. He refused to let the medical and scientific professionals lead the response and instead put it in the incapable hands of politicians like Vice President Pence. He has consistently refused to set up a national coordination of resources to support state and local efforts. He claimed that there were enough tests for anyone who wanted to get tested. Then he didn't organize widespread testing or produce the necessary supplies to provide the testing, later saying that it wasn't necessary, even though he is tested daily. The reality is that he doesn't want the testing to show high numbers of people who are infected because it would make him look bad. He has filled the airways with his endless misinformation that the virus would quickly go away, that taking hydroxychloroquine could be a preventative measure or a cure even though the medical community said it might increase the chance of a patient dying. He even said that people could use disinfectant on themselves as protection from the virus. His push to reopen the economy was in violation of the guidelines he had asked the CDC, Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, to establish. And, as if to make a point, he has publicly and repeatedly violated social distancing guidelines and proudly appeared everywhere without a mask. It is not only the cops in Minneapolis who are responsible for murder. Trump's handling of this pandemic has cost tens of thousands of U.S. lives. Could anything show more clearly how Trump's only concerns are his re-election and the health of the 1%? Business-financed front groups drive push to reopen economy. The attention-grabbing protests to reopen the economy appeared to be just workers and small business owners desperate to get back to work and angry at an uncaring government. And there is indeed desperation all over the country as people can't pay their bills, including rent or mortgages. But the protests were not entirely what they seemed to be. In reality, the most visible back-to-work protests were almost completely financed by a few nationwide 
business-sponsored front groups relying on big money for their ideas and logistics and apparently not concerned about workers' health and safety on the job or the possibility they would bring COVID-19 back to their homes. Tea Party Patriots, FreedomWorks, Americans for Prosperity, and Save Our Country Coalition are just a few of these front groups using corporate money to spread anti-worker ideology while making it seem like they represent workers' interests. If they care for workers so much, why aren't they pushing for the government to put trillions into expanded unemployment compensation so people can survive while they are off the job? The government has shown it can find trillions of dollars when the pandemic threatens their profits. In reality, this is one of the strategies of the 1% to try to get workers to go along with their program. We don't have to go along with it. If working people organize, we can fight to get what we really need. Democrats do nothing but wring their hands. Many Democratic Party politicians have decried the police murder of George Floyd and said that we need change. But what do they propose? Nothing. The racist cop murder of Floyd is the latest of uncountable examples of how systemic prejudice against people of color is woven into the fabric of this society. To propose real attacks on racism, the politicians would have to attack the system they are sworn to uphold. We have room here for only a few examples, so let's start at the top. Joe Biden, the Democratic Party's choice for president, said, quote, We are a country with an open wound. None of us any longer can hear the words, I can't breathe and do nothing, unquote. But what does he propose? Nothing. He was vice president for eight years with Obama and in the Senate for 37 years before that, and nothing improved. He has had plenty of opportunity to address it with serious ideas, and he comes up empty. After rebellions in black communities in Newark and Detroit in 1967, the government set up a commission on the causes of the unrest. It came out with the Kerner Report. Its findings were clear as to the abundant inequality and injustice that led to social explosion. But what did they do? They amounted to nothing. The few reforms enacted immediately after the report came out, such as the Fair Housing Act of 1968, which prohibited discrimination in the sale, rental, and financing of housing, obviously did not desegregate the cities. It is now 52 years later, and the situation is in most respects worse than then. As Speaker of the House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi is arguably the most powerful Democrat in Congress, perhaps in the nation. In response to the cop's murder of Floyd, she said, quote, At this moment of immense sadness across America, our communities are grieving for the staggering loss of life from the coronavirus, which we have never seen in our lifetime. What we have seen over time is a pattern of police violence, particularly against the African-American community, that is sadly not new to us, unquote. She's right that it's not new, but what did Democrats do when they had control of the White House and of Congress? Nothing. Whatever laws they passed that might have looked good, they did not prevent the situation we face today. 
One policymaker after another decries racist police violence and offers nothing but wringing their hands. House Rep Dean Phillips, a Democrat from the Minneapolis suburbs, tweeted, The evil that took George Floyd and the evil burning through Minneapolis will not be extinguished by a policy, rather by a people, a people committed to listening, understanding, and action. Who's ready? He's a policymaker, but what does he propose? Nothing. And what did he mean about the, quote, evil burning through Minneapolis, unquote? Was he criticizing the cops or the protesters? More than a century and a half after the end of chattel slavery of African people, there are vast differences between whites and blacks in policing, educational opportunity, housing, health care, and quality of life generally. It is long overdue for us to stop listening to the politicians, both Democrat and Republican. They both serve the 1% and don't care about the rest of us. People should go into the streets and scream in protests, but we need to do more than that. We need to organize to fight systematically against a system that exploits and oppresses. What have we got to lose? Nothing. Ford workers stop assembly line over COVID-19. Ford workers forced their assembly line to shut down at the Dearborn, Michigan truck assembly plant. They refused to work after a co-worker tested positive for COVID-19 on May 22nd. They pushed Ford to close the plant to have it cleaned. We can protect ourselves, even though the bosses are willing to risk our lives. Joe Biden says the solution is to shoot their legs instead. Democratic Party presidential candidate Joe Biden has a solution to the problem of police violence. Shoot black people in the legs instead. In a recent statement, Biden suggested that cops should be retrained to blow the kneecaps off of people rather than shooting them in the heart. Apparently, he thinks that as long as cops are going to shoot black people, they should put them in wheelchairs instead of coffins. The police cannot be reformed. May 30th. After George Floyd's murder and the protests that have followed across the country, many people are discussing how the police can be reformed so that black lives aren't destroyed again and again. This is an old discussion. From the civil rights movement on, cities have introduced police officer bias training and police oversight boards staffed by civilians. Minneapolis already had civilian oversight, but police continue to brutalize people of color, especially black people, on a daily basis. So is there any way to reform the police to stop them from committing racist violence? The police are and have always been the tool of the capitalist class to protect property. Their job is to make sure that a system based in inequality, the capitalist system, continues to run smoothly, despite the fact that it is a system that exploits and neglects people. To do their job, police harass poor people on a daily basis, and more often than not, this means white police terrorizing poor communities of color. Racism is in the job description of the police as enforcers of inequality. How can any oversight change that fact? As long as the capitalist system of exploitation continues to exist, it will use violence and racism to back it up. We need to rip up this system by its roots 
and send its police enforcers packing. No PPE will protect you from racist cops. The family of Brianna Taylor, the young woman shot down in her home by cops on March 13th, is still demanding justice. On Thursday evening, as protests spread around the country over the murder of George Floyd, protests in Louisville, her home, were underway as well. Taylor worked as an emergency medical technician, or EMT, and focused on protecting herself at work, getting necessary PPE, and saving lives during the coronavirus pandemic. She wasn't sentenced to death by the virus, however. She was sentenced to death for being black in the United States. In the middle of the night, plainclothes police officers broke down her apartment door with no warning and delivered a storm of bullets, killing her. Her partner, Kenneth Walker, shot a single bullet into the ceiling to ward off the home invaders, not knowing they were cops. For this single shot, he was arrested and charged with attempted murder of a police officer. The police fired at least 25 times, threatening the lives in neighboring apartments as well. Government officials use nice words and symbolic actions when they talk about essential workers and how healthcare providers are heroes. These are empty words, and the only response they deserve is for us to stand together and fight back against their disregard for life. Coronavirus is contagious and dangerous, and we have to protect ourselves and each other from spreading it. But what's more deadly is letting this racist, violent system continue. Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and the thousands of others who have been killed by police and white supremacy remind us that we must keep fighting. The whole damn system is guilty as hell. Protests against racist cop violence spread nationwide. May 29th. Thousands of people in Minneapolis and across the country are protesting the horrific racism of the police murder of George Floyd from Minneapolis and St. Paul to New York, Los Angeles, Memphis, Denver, Columbus, Phoenix, and beyond. The fact that Floyd was arrested, let alone brutally murdered for the alleged crime of forgery, when the rich get away with stealing millions from working people every day in this country, is an indication of how racism is defended by our state and its laws. There were protests in Louisville as well, where the cops shot and killed Breonna Taylor in her apartment in March. They shot her eight times. Demonstrations turned violent in some cases. In Minneapolis, outraged people stormed and burned the district police station where Floyd's killers were based. Why should anyone be surprised? Black people are suffering the violence of racism daily, on top of the violence of poverty for so many with all of its brutal consequences. This system shows again and again that it sees the lives of black people as without value. In 1967, black activist H. Rapp Brown said violence is as American as cherry pie, speaking of white violence against black people. The times have not changed. The bosses and their politicians have always pushed racism to divide working class people against each other. President Trump is feeding racist violence, calling the Minneapolis protesters thugs and threatening them, tweeting that when the looters start, the shooting starts. This looting is nothing next to the thievery of countless years of racist exploitation.
We need to unite against racism in all of its forms. We must protect against racist cop violence. Racism must be opposed by all of us. In cities around the U.S., people took to the streets to express outrage over George Floyd's murder by cops in the middle of the day on Tuesday, May 26th. Minneapolis police took Floyd, a black man, out of his car, saying they were investigating a forgery. Floyd was handcuffed and then soon forced to lie down in the street. One of the cops put his knee on Floyd's neck, pressing down while Floyd gasped in agony for more than five minutes that he couldn't breathe. Two more cops arrived and knelt on Floyd's body. Onlookers yelled at the cops to let Floyd up. Videos of the murder quickly went viral. Another black man murdered by the cops. A tragedy, but certainly not an exception. Cops in the U.S. kill an average of three people a day. About one in 1,000 black men and boys in the U.S., can expect to die at the hands of the police. That's 2.5 times more likely than white males. Out of the thousands of killings by cops since 2005, only 98 cops were arrested and only three were convicted of murder. Because of the videos and because people took to the streets in anger, the authorities responded. The four cops were fired and sent home. The mayor called for prosecution of the cops. On Friday, one cop was charged with third-degree murder and manslaughter, the lowest murder charge. The three other cops have not been charged. Racism in this country means that one in four people killed by the police is black. Black people are 18% of the U.S. population and are 40% of the prison population. One in three black males will be incarcerated during their lives and receive 19% longer sentences than white males. The violence of poverty means that tens of millions of black people in this country live in a daily state of emergency. In 2020, black families are 2.5 times more likely to live in poverty than whites. And this pandemic means that poor communities of color who often lack comprehensive health care have suffered a much higher rate of illness and death. Over half of black households, 58%, rent their homes while only 28% of white households rent. The unemployment rate for black people is twice as high as whites. And with the virus, what is it today? Black children are three times as likely to live in poverty as white children. Schools today are as segregated as they were in the 1960s. Poor districts with the most students of color receive 15% less student in-state and local funding than the wealthier white districts. The people of Minneapolis and other cities are right to take to the streets. People's calls for justice have resounded in this country since its earliest days. And when enough of us have raised our voices and our fists, those in authority are forced to respond. But the basic functioning of this system hasn't changed. Racism and the violent oppression that accompanies it serves to divide the population and allows the wealthy few to profit from our exploitation. The murder of George Floyd has revealed the deep racism of this system for all to see. Trump tweeted that the U.S. military was ready to assist and that, quote, after looting comes shooting, basically saying that the police and other state forces should shoot protesters who looted. Trump and those he represents are more concerned about a Target store that lies in ashes 
than the body of a man lying in the city morgue. George Floyd's murder cannot be forgotten. We cannot remain silent or continue with business as usual. We have to organize, stand up against racist violence, and organize to fight to protect the health and lives of us all. Climate change is turning forests into polluters. A recent study involving more than half a million trees found that when temperatures increase past 89.6 degrees Fahrenheit, tropical forests end up releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Trees normally absorb carbon dioxide and give off oxygen, which helps delay catastrophic climate change. Tropical forests store vast amounts of carbon in their trees, says lead author Martin Sullivan, but a global increase in temperature could mean that their carbon-storing ability is turned on its head. If all this carbon was released at once, it would be the equivalent of 25 years of global fossil fuel emissions. Already, a quarter of tropical forests are facing heat above the 89.6 degree threshold, and even a 3 degree Fahrenheit increase would push the majority of trees over the edge, triggering an excess release of carbon into the air. We need to make sure that tropical forests retain their carbon storing abilities, and this means no further increase in global temperatures, no more burning of fossil fuels, and no more cutting down of trees in the Amazon or any other tropical forest. Deforestation only benefits the capitalists exploiting these forests, and fossil fuels are only good for the oil and gas companies. We cannot lose any more of these forests. Our lives depend on it. Going back to work in the pandemic. We could get sick, but what about sick pay? As businesses around the country start to open up, those of us who still have jobs have to think about how much protection against infection there will be for us when we return to work. New York City building service companies laid off 6,000 janitors when Manhattan office towers closed. When these towers reopen, cleaning and disinfecting work areas, cafeterias, break rooms, and toilet facilities must intensify. This means boosting the number of maintenance workers and not just rehiring those previously laid off. But that's not what our bosses want to do. One nationwide building service company just won a postal service contract by promising to cut costs by hiring 40% fewer workers than had been previously employed. Union Workers for Planned Properties, a major janitorial service company in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, have already had to go on strike for adequate personal protective equipment, or PPE. It's inevitable that returning to work now means some of us will get sick and a big issue will be paid sick days and health insurance for those returning to work. Workers at four New York City Chipotle locations had to strike last week to enforce New York's sick pay laws. Chipotle managers enjoy bonuses dependent on how much they reduce labor costs and raise productivity. According to the New York Coalition for Occupational Health and Safety, bonuses can be as much as 25% of a manager's salary and managers are penalized when workers take sick days. Companies that cut down on sick days boost their bottom line, and they will ignore laws that get in the way of that. With bosses determined to make up for lost profits from the pandemic, 
We can't expect to get sick pay or the other protections we need unless we are organized to fight for them. Michigan Dam Breach Climate Change Meet Toxic Waste May 28th Last week, heavy rains breached two dams near Midland, Michigan. The resulting floods forced nearly 11,000 people to evacuate and seek shelter. Throughout the Midwest, torrential rains and flash floods are increasing with global climate disruption. The dam breach wasn't just a result of a severe storm. It's a disaster that engineers knew was coming. In the U.S., 70% of dams are over 50 years old, which is about how long dams are built to last. In Michigan, a third of the dams are high hazard, like the two that breached. Despite notification from federal government engineers, the owners of the dams hadn't made the upgrades that were desperately needed on these dams. Repairing dams is expensive. Most repair projects aren't profitable enough for hydropower companies to follow through on engineers' advice. After all, the owners of the dams won't be the ones fleeing the rising waters. Nor will they be the ones living in the toxic aftermath. Dow Chemical Company, one of the three largest chemical companies in the world, has their headquarters in Midland. In 2019 alone, Dow Chemical made nearly $43 billion in revenue. Their facilities in the Midland area have dumped toxic waste into rivers and lakes for decades. The floodwaters breached ponds, holding waste from Dow that got swept downriver with the flooding. Dow, which has made trillions from consumer products and military poisons like napalm and Agent Orange, has made clear decisions to poison the environment and people in Midland, Michigan, and around the world. No one at the top is going to make the decisions necessary to save people's lives, homes, and well-being from the health hazards and environmental disasters that we face. For the people who live near toxic producers and dangerous dams, we should be the ones who get to make the decisions about what gets produced and what gets repaired. We have to organize to make that a reality. We can't let them make us pay for the crisis they create anymore. Speak Out Now is a revolutionary socialist organization. You can find us at our Facebook page, Speak Out Now. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram, at Rev Socialists. That's R-E-V Socialists with an S at the end. Or our website, which is speakoutsocialists.org. We want to thank Boots Riley and The Coup for letting us use their song, Get Up, featuring Dead Press. Thanks for listening. Till next week.